and welcome to the Holistic Psychiatry Podcast. I'm Courtney Snyder, a holistic psychiatrist and physician, and today I'll be talking about methylation, and more specifically, undermethylation, why it's so important when it comes to brain health, what symptoms and traits look like, associated diagnoses, how we can become undermethylated, and how we diagnose and treat undermethylation. So I'd like to start with why understanding undermethylation is so important. And methylation and the understanding of methylation come out of the Walsh Research Institute, where they studied thousands of people, over 30,000 people with brain-related symptoms, and found that there were particular nutrient imbalances that were contributing to their symptoms, and that by correcting those nutrient imbalances, their symptoms for most people improved. One of those imbalances relate to methyl and folate, and that brings us to our topic today, which is undermethylation. Now, undermethylation very much impacts our personality and our mental health. It also raises our vulnerability to things like developmental disorders such as autism, cardiovascular disease, neurodegenerative disorders such as Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, and even cancer. In the general population, there's about 22% of people who are undermethylated. And keep in mind, these will be individuals who are highly driven, highly motivated, often perfectionistic and competitive, and detail-oriented. So most physicians, most accountants, engineers, and most high, highly competitive athletes will be undermethylated. So, in, so having undermethylation is not inherently pathologic. It, again, raises one's vulnerability. So, again, about 22% of the general population is undermethylated, and in the psychiatric population, it's around 60 to 65%. Undermethylation is one of the most common underlying factors in major depression. And the other reason it's important to understand something about undermethylation is that we have a degree of control over how undermethylated we are. There are actually ways that we can impact our methylation status to a, to a point. So how does one become undermethylated? First, it's important to realize that there are a number of genes that contribute to our methylation status. The most known of these is MTHFR, um, though by itself it does not necessarily determine someone will be undermethylated. It can raise a vulnerability there if someone has a mutation on that particular gene. But basically, methylation is a biochemical process that occurs billions of times in our cells. It involves adding a methyl group to an atom or molecule. This is an important process when it comes to repairing DNA, when it comes to uh, detoxification. We need to methylate certain toxins in order to remove them from the body. And it's also important for breaking down histamine. Now, all of those areas can be important in our mental health. If, we're, if we have a lot of toxicity, 
that's going to impact inflammation and secondarily brain inflammation. If we have high histamine levels, that will affect our cognition and even our behaviors. However, the primary way that methylation impacts brain health is through its impact on neurotransmitter activity and the way it impacts the expression of particular genes through what we call epigenetics, our ability to turn on and off particular genes. And the way this happens is with methyl groups. So when methyl markers are added to a particular gene, that has the potential to turn them on or off. This is something that happens largely before we're ever born. But if some of those genes, and it appears that many of them are, impacting our neurotransmitter functioning, then we can be low in serotonin activity and even low in dopamine activity, both of which can affect our mood and our our ability to concentrate for long periods of time. So when someone is under-methylated, um, what you might consider is that they may look very left brain. They may be someone who gets stuck in the details. They may have obsessive-compulsive tendencies, be perfectionistic, even ritualistic. They may be. They may have problems along the same lines as this idea of being stuck in the details. They may be prone to addiction, be prone to phobias. They may have dietary inflexibility. Um, they will be, as I mentioned earlier, vulnerable to chronic depression and even social isolation. They may tend to be more competitive and come from highly accomplished families because, again, a number of things that I've mentioned would move someone forward um, in our culture's value of um, competition and perfectionism. Other traits could be uh, susceptibility to allergies because of the high histamine states that come with undermethylation, since, again, we need methylation to break down histamine. And with that um, high fluidity in terms of the mouth and eyes watering, there could be a good response to antihistamines, and there could be a good response to SSRIs or serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which are medications like Zoloft, Prozac, Paxil, and the like. If someone is having a psychotic disorder, uh, instead of having hallucinations, delusions would be more prominent in someone who is under-methylated. That doesn't mean that everyone who's under-methylated becomes delusional. In fact, most people who are under-methylated overwhelmingly do not. But if a psychotic-type symptom is going to occur, it would be a delusion. And again, that sort of fits with this idea of a, of a fixed uh, lack of flexibility in, in one's thinking. Children can also be undermethylated just as adults, and in fact, most of us who are undermethylated have been undermethylated since childhood, since it is uh, very largely impacted by um, our genetic makeup. So, in children, we might see obsessive compulsive disorder, 
or traits of such, we might see even oppositional defiance, which fits with that that competitiveness, or even uh, autism spectrum-like traits, or autism. When someone is undermethylated and has anxiety, they tend to be on the surface appear calm and so they're they might have an internal anxiety but it wouldn't be palpable or necessary necessarily obvious to those around them that's different for someone who's not undermethylated or who is even overmethylated where that anxiety could be much much more obvious diagnoses associated with undermethylation include autism spectrum uh, Dr. Walsh at the Walsh Research Institute, who I referenced earlier, has found that while looking at 6,500 children with autism, 98% were undermethylated. Uh, 85% of children diagnosed with oppositional defiant disorder were undermethylated. 62% of those with anorexia. of those with schizoaffective disorder, and that's where someone can have symptoms of both a mood disorder and a psychotic disorder. 55% of those with ADHD have a methylation imbalance, so that would be a combination of either under or over methylation. When it comes to depression and biochemical imbalances specifically, 38% of those that the Walsh Research Institute studied, and this was 3,600 people with depression, 38% were found to be undermethylated. So there were also individuals who had overmethylation, copper overload, pyrrole disorder, and metal toxicity, and this undermethylation was the, the highest percentage. And lastly, I should mention that when they looked at antisocial personality disorder. And this isn't avoidant personality where someone may be avoiding social interactions. Antisocial personality is more um, what we might see in someone who has sociopathic tendencies, lacking empathy, um, and may have a criminal history and extreme risk-taking and causing harm to others. So they found that 95% of individuals with antisocial personality disorder were undermethylated. And in that, they looked at even 25 uh, serial killers. So they, they actually started this area of investigation and nutrient imbalances in a prison population. And then that led to um, really a broad understanding of how how nutrient imbalances can affect really all of us. So how do we become undermethylated? As I mentioned, there's a number of genes, and the best known being MTHFR. However, it's really um, a collection of genes that can have variants, and it's the sum of those genes. So while if someone has a SNP, we would say, on the MTHFR gene coming from both parents at the C677T location that would much more likely raise their 
risk of being undermethylated. However, knowing that someone has that gene does not determine that. Other factors can be later in life, either, and as I mentioned earlier, some of our uh, genetic expression is determined in utero before we're ever born. But if we have a severe environmental stress, and that could be in our early life during our attachment period, or if we have uh, emotional trauma in our life, or a physical event such as a toxic exposure, then that could impact our methylation status by virtue of impacting some of those methylation genes. Candida, which is a microbe in the gastrointestinal tract, appears to make a toxin that will inhibit methylation. And so if someone has recently been on antibiotics or has a diet high in carbohydrates and sugar, that could potentially um, contribute to a methylation issue. There's also been studies in mice on the impact of attachment. And the way they measured this was looking at the uh, licking and grooming behaviors of the mother mice and how that impacted um, whether the the baby mice were undermethylated or not. So there's a lot of research that's building upon that that's quite fascinating. And it would raise the argument that if someone has a vulnerability genetically, it may not be expressed but for uh, their early attachment experiences. But again, we can all carry more or less genetic vulnerability and more or less um, attachment disruption and more or less exposures to toxins and or candida. So the way we diagnose undermethylation is using primarily symptoms. So it's not difficult to identify, and in fact, as I ran through the symptoms, likely you thought of yourself or someone you know or many people you know that you suspect are undermethylated. And, you know, even the way someone presents themselves would give you an idea of where they might fall on that spectrum. We can check a whole blood histamine, and typically I will do that. Um, LabCorp is the lab I use that tends to be the most reliable. I also will sometimes run a methylation panel, and there's a couple different labs that offer that test. And I don't necessarily look at SNPs or mutations or polymorphisms, as I mentioned earlier, such as MTHFR. The treatments aim to normalize methylation. If we can enhance the particular nutrients that are helping keeping this cycle moving or the products of this cycle, then we can help someone with impaired neurotransmitter functioning. So SAMe, which stands for S-adenosyl-L-methionine, we use in combination with B12, calcium and magnesium, and often B6. Diet is important. We get methyl from um, methionine, which is an amino acid. We get methyl from our diet, specifically from protein. 
if someone is showing evidence of low serotonin states, and this might be um, somewhat of a detached appearance, um, a tendency to perfectionism or obsessive-compulsive symptoms or depression, then we would not recommend that they be on any form of folate as that could further downregulate receptors for serotonin. So we have people who are undermethylated avoid multivitamins, which have a number of nutrients, but usually the highest in there is uh, folate. Um, And again, we encourage a diet high in protein. We also recommend avoiding foods that have been enriched with folic acid and recommend people avoid a diet that is particularly high in high folate foods. Now, that doesn't mean don't eat your vegetables, but it does mean don't be a ve- don't be a vegetarian who's not getting adequate protein and getting um, an excessive amount of folate. And I would also add, and this doesn't come out of the Walsh Research Institute, but comes out of my own experience with patients and um, helping people who are undermethylated is because these traits so much align with the left hemisphere and a deficiency thus in the right hemisphere, I encourage um, people do activities to enhance the functioning of their right hemisphere, to really grow that part of their brain and activate those nerves, fitting with the concept of, you know, if we're not using particular neural pathways um, then they're going to basically be the first to um, decline and degenerate, whereas when we're using neurologic pathways, those are the ones that are going to wire and connect. So I'm not going to talk about it here, but I do have other resources, including the last talk that I gave on the live teaching, which was all about ways to access the right hemisphere. Uh, contraindications or complications with treatment. If someone has a high homocysteine level, that is a blood test that's often used as a marker for cardiovascular disease. If that is high, our preference would be to bring that down into normal range, or I would say optimal range, before treating methylation. Homocysteine is one of these things that comes out of the methylation cycle, and if it causing a backup because it's too high, then pushing the methylation cycles uh, is not going to be beneficial. So the idea is to flush that out. And the way we do that is use B12, B6, and um, in some cases folate, which as I said, we don't use in people that are low in serotonin activity and undermethylated, but we might for the short term to correct a homocysteine issue. Many people who have yeast and or mold or a chronic inflammatory response syndrome related to biotoxins will not be able to tolerate things like methionine or SAMe until those other issues start to get addressed. So in the teaching, I'm going to talk about some of the controversies around this and why some doctors will be 
talking about taking folate if you're undermethylated and have MTHFR, why psychiatrists in the conventional realm will look for that gene and put people on high-dose folate, and how that is contradictory from what has been learned in the Walsh Research Institute. I'll also talk about pregnancy and the concerns of what has become a more-is-better approach to folate in pregnancy and um, the controversy around that, um, some research out of Harvard, and what the general recommendations are from, again, this um, Walsh Research Institute per, uh, perspective. So if you or someone you know is struggling with symptoms related potentially to undermethylation and you'd like to learn more, I will be having a live teaching this Tuesday and with that a Q&A. I also have information on my website where you can access blog posts but also again the live teaching there and the website is CourtneySnyderMD.com. I hope this was helpful, and I look forward to connecting with you in a future podcast. Thank you so much.